welcome to The Vector, where we discuss topics, trends, and insights driving the global space ecosystem. I am your host, Kelly Keita Zogborn, Vice President of Space Commerce and Entrepreneurship at Space Foundation. And today I am joined by Meredith Reeves, who is the Technology Transfer Expansion Lead at NASA's Kennedy Space Center within their Technology Transfer Program. Meredith is passionate about helping entrepreneurs realize the full potential of NASA technologies to create real impact outside of NASA's intended use cases. Meredith has a long-standing track record in leadership and service to the community through various roles at NASA, as well as a FEMA volunteer for recovery efforts during Hurricane Katrina. She joined NASA in 2004 and has led teams as a contracting officer, um, was a new technology representative for the technology transfer program, and now at Kennedy Space Center's technology transfer expansion program, which really aims at connecting NASA's technologies to entrepreneurs for licensing opportunities. Meredith, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here, thanks. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation because I feel like this program within NASA is um, not often known, although it has such tremendous impact and opportunity for entrepreneurs. And what I find so fascinating about it is that the infrastructure of space and the technologies developed for space really act as this invisible backbone for goods and services utilized every day. And in fact, as you know, a lot of space spinoffs have been so seamlessly integrated into our lives that we often forget that we have NASA to thank for them. And for, um, for some of our viewers, uh, I'll just touch on a bit of the dual use technologies that I think are really interesting. Um, one is baby food. So baby food actually contains nutritionally enriched ingredients that were initially devised for NASA and memory foam, you know, was developed as customized seats for astronauts to help alleviate uh, the pressure and effects of G-force during takeoff and landing. And another one that people generally don't realize is that the Black & Decker Dust Buster. So before it actually came into our lives, it was originally designed as a lunar rock drill and then subsequently, uh, the company then created a bunch of different domestic battery-powered handheld devices. And so when you start to peel back the onion, you realize that a lot of the initial investment core technology that NASA has really developed has created so many other avenues for growth and opportunity for companies. And I just think it's really fascinating when you realize the origin of it. Yeah, that's really true. And and you know, the, the intent of the development is for space, obviously, mm -hmm. and that if we do see potential outside of NASA, we want it to be used to the maximum benefit, um, just like those things that you mentioned. So a lot of these things that are being developed and even things in the past that were developed that we thought might not be applicable outside of NASA are now becoming more available even because of commercial space applications. Absolutely. So for some of our viewers who may not know much about the tech transfer program and especially what you do, could you tell us a little bit about what it is and how people can utilize it? Of course. Yeah. So tech transfer, um, the program and it, and it is NASA wide. I'm at Kennedy Space Center and every every center works on this as well as supports tech transfer ensures that the innovations being developed by NASA are broadly available to the public and um, maximizing the benefit to the nation because it was taxpayer dollars that, that funded that to begin with and we do want maximum benefit of that. And the successes from that do show up in the spinoff, like you said. And so um, what our office and all the offices across at all the centers do is we work with the inventors and innovators at our centers and understand what they are working on um, sometimes it's years and years of development. Sometimes it's a you know a quick solution that they're working on, 
um, you know, in the past, there was a lot of solutions related to the shuttle program. So that's where mm -hmm. a lot of things came from at KSC. And more recently, we've got a lot of different kind of R&T development for different kind of ground system solutions. And so when we do understand what they're working on and we can um, look out to see how that might be beneficial in other applications and industries, then, you know, NASA goes through the patent process and getting that patented. And um, even before that, you, you know, or even maybe without a patent, we are able to transfer technologies to let other people have access to uh, what what that innovation is all about. And so when somebody expresses interest, they can um, find find those different technologies on our website, which which you'll see technology.nasa.gov and explore, you know, what they might be able to do. And if they think it's a viable solution for them to be um, built upon, they can license the technology and then decide, you know, and then move forward with their own development. It's such a wonderful pathway and an avenue for entrepreneurs because there's a lot of people that want to get into the business of space, but they might not have a core competency to develop a technology from scratch for itself. So being able to actually utilize what's already been developed at the brain trust of NASA. And as you mentioned, like taxpayer dollars that de-risk a lot of the basic, basic science to get something to a point of fruition and then really just build it up from a business aspect is a, I think a really good strategy and pathway for people. Um, is there generally a certain type of archetype of, of company or entrepreneur that would best be suited for the tech transfer program? So could you walk me through if, if somebody just wakes up and is like, I want to see what NASA has to offer. How would they, one, figure out what's there? I know you mentioned the website, but then also understand if they actually have what it takes to develop it. Yeah, that's true. I think it's I think it's very broad. I think there's, um, you know, anybody anywhere from entrepreneurs to very developed businesses that may be looking for solutions. And so um, also the portfolio is, is pretty broad as far as the topics. So um, if you do visit the site, you'll see, I think there's 15 different categories, including communications, medicine, aerospace, materials and coding, sensors, software, robotics. And so if you think about all of those things, plus the many more that I didn't uh, list, that's really across the board things that can be used all over the place and that might be applicable to um, you know, things in agriculture. Oh, we'll talk a little bit more about those kinds of things. We do a lot of uh, plant science here at KSC for for space applications. And so a lot of those things can be transferable. And so I think the, the customers for these technologies are really anyone. And the technology transfer expansion program within Tech Transfer is, is really focusing on trying to um, make sure that entrepreneurs and startups are aware of this patent portfolio and how to access it and, and what they can do to get a startup license. What does that process look like? So I'm just thinking of, um, I guess this is a bit of a two-part question. So one, you mentioned that there's a broad portfolio of the different types of technologies, and I imagine that some might be more mature than others. Um, so if a company came in and went through the process of licensing, what generally is the level of development that's necessary on the back end for them to get it to be a product that they can use? Yeah, good point. I guess that depends what they plan to do with it. And so if somebody does come in and they have an idea that some something in the portfolio will help them um, through the process of licensing, they will have to build that plan and mm -hmm. communicate that with NASA before um, before it actually you know goes through, through all the process so that we understand what their intent is on using it. And so, you know, somebody might be getting a technology um, to, 
as their starting point, right? Or you might just be getting a little piece of something like a like a cell phone camera, right? To go into a cell phone, it's not your final product, it's a piece of it. And so um, depending on what that development is and how you, you know, how you need it, um, it could be kind of a, this is, this is how it is and this is how we're gonna use it. Or you might have to do a whole lot to get it to work the way you want it for, for your own application. Got it. But the, the license process, I guess, with NASA, they do have to show that business plan and the, how they plan to commercialize it, what they plan to utilize right. it for. And then is there a time horizon on the license or how does that work? Um, I'm, I'm not too sure on the time horizons on the licenses, um, but we can we can look into that. But I, there are there are a few different kinds of licenses and they they all have different kind of timelines for um, when things should happen and and ha when they need to happen by. And so mm -hmm. NASA will do check checks back and forth, you know, to see how things are, are going. And um, and then if there are commercial sales, we want to know about that, too. Yeah. What are some of the areas that are available for license that might surprise people? Um, and the reason I say that is, as I mentioned beginning, and, and you've said like space really does touch everything and it can be utilized in a lot of different ways. But most people think about it in terms of very particular verticals of launch and satellites and others. So um, could you touch upon some of the areas that may shock people and also they might realize there is an opportunity in those areas? Sure. Um, I did mention the plants. I, I feel like that probably isn't an obvious um, topic for, you know, Kennedy Space Center launching rockets. So, um, you know, we, we do have uh, plants science labs here at KC and all the technologies around that being developed. And so um, one of the one of the examples we have of a patent pending technology that's out there is in the mechanical and fluid system. So we talked about the different categories on the website. And this is a miniaturized electrospray system. And it's um, for precision applications. So in in the real world, outside of NASA, we do have um, electrostatic spray systems for for different applications, but it's they're not precision. So in and for space, we really needed it to be a more of a precision application. And so this is something that electrostatically charges and delivers liquids to grounded targets. And like I said, those those do exist on a bigger scale. This is um, the kind of like the miniaturized version of that. And so it was developed for in-space aeroponic food production applications. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't use air. It uses a lot less liquid. It's a concentrated mist. So saving on a lot of resources there. Um, it sprays at a much shorter distance, closer to two feet. And some of the potential applications outside of NASA um, could be for like topical medications, um, uh, antimi antimicrobial coating. So it was kind of a, a little bit of a topic, maybe more than a little bit whenever, you know, kind of things happening. Yeah. And so um, paint and disinfectants, agricultural applications. And so we've had interest in that um, from people trying to get more of a refined, um, I guess, process for, for spraying. That's interesting. Is there an opportunity if someone licenses this technology in as an ongoing relationship to potentially have NASA as like a, a feedback loop for for development questions, or is it mainly the the technology gets licensed and then there there's obviously a check in to see if they're successful. But what about the the kind of yeah? So and that's that's kind of the bridge that we that we have as the um, as the tech transfer office is we can communicate those things. And so there there really is is not you know you know you're not getting access to to the the actual inventors um, necessarily who do these things, but that's that's kind of what our office does is to, um, you know, be the connection back to NASA if there are any questions. 
Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a really smart entrepreneurial strategy because a lot of times, you know, I mentioned in the beginning that some people want to get into space and they don't know how, but even if they have, if a company has a basic technology that can be enhanced by something that NASA has to create a, a better product, right. As opposed to starting from scratch, but being able to utilize something that exists, um, it's definitely worth exploring because there's, there's the credibility and the legacy that comes from NASA technology. Um, and being able to leverage that, I think is a really smart way. So if on, when you work with entrepreneurs, how do you help them think about the utilization of NASA technology and how they can best um, adopt it into their business practice? Yeah. And so, and that's a, that's a newer thing within NASA to, to be targeting, you know, some, some of these things towards entrepreneurs, but I think, um, obviously, depending on what industry they're in, but if we're if we're talking space, you know, if people are trying to have a certain solution, then you can match it. So I think it can go, you know, both ways. If if you're looking just to start something and you're trying to be interested in in a certain area, you can probably go to portfolio and, and search around. But I think probably more likely you have a solution in mind, and maybe you're looking for enhancements. And so, um, you know, just helping people navigate navigate into what the solutions might be, maybe understanding the capabilities of some of these things beyond what NASA was using them for. Have there been any success stories or companies that you've worked with that have surprised you in a way that, you know, they've utilized the technology in really creative ways, or they've just been able to license the technology and be really successful with it? Um, yeah. So, so I can go back, I can go into another spinoff. So, and, and maybe talk about spinoffs for a second, just yeah, before that. Um, and so the spinoffs are kind of, you know, the end of, end result of this whole tech transfer process. Somebody develops a technology here. We, we patent it, somebody licenses it, puts it into their, into their business plan, develops a product and sells it and, and makes, makes the world better. Right. And so, um, so, and, and if you want to see those spinoffs, uh, again, they're, they're on our website. If you go to technology.nasa.gov, you'll, you'll see them. And there's tons. There's some new ones out. The new spinoff um, 2023 just came out. So you can see those on the site too. And one of our older ones, which is which uh, came out a long time ago, actually ends up being an expired patent now, which um, which is not a bad thing. But um, a, long, a long time ago here at KSC, when they were uh, aiming to clean rocket parts with solvents and the solvents got into the soil and they had to figure out how to clean that up some solutions were developed and so it's called um <coughs> sorry i'm just looking at my notes here uh, uh i don't want to forget it was emulsified zero valent iron so if you look that up ezvi is on the website and you can read about that but um they they found a way to clean these contaminants out of the ground and so that was definitely appealing to people outside of of nasa um as as cleanup sites were becoming more of a thing and, and trying to clean up the ground. And and so I think that that's kind of a surprising one because I really don't think that that was probably something that people would think that would come out of Kennedy Space Center. Mm -hmm. But it, it's a it's a really good story and it's an eco-friendly cleanup solution and um, it can de decontaminate sand and soil, bedrock and groundwater. It's been used around the world at this point. And the, one of the early examples of using that was in the early 80s, there was a train derailment in Louisiana and the toxic chemicals, you know, soaked into the ground. They spent years and years, I think it said 30 or so, trying to use well-known techniques to clean up um, the ground, but the chemicals still remained and they, they couldn't get it to a safe level. And and this is this was actually ended up being their solution all the way up to 2013 when they, they decided to implement EZVI. 
That's really cool. Um, yeah, it's always those interesting solutions. I'm I'm never like I'm never disappointed by the ingenuity of people to figure out how to use something. I remember um, years ago when I was talking about different spinoffs. Um, I didn't mention this as an example in the beginning, but I I just find that it's fascinating that invisible braces actually came out of um, you know NASA's advanced ceramics research program. And I think that the property in particular was initially used as like an infra infrared radome detection. And they found that the, the property was strong enough and clear enough that it could do that. But then from the dental practice, they wanted something that could actually withstand whatever braces need to do, but that you couldn't see. And so yeah. it was a very interesting secondary effect to something that initially had no business being in anyone's mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> use it um, as a strategy. So thinking about the end state of a spinoff and where the, the actual technology IP lies, I guess you could approach it two different ways. So an entrepreneur or, or just a company could think about an end result of what they eventually want to put into the market and then go and see if there's a technology as a, as a basic component that could be utilized. Or I guess they could see what's available and then try to think of an end state. Have you seen one strategy being more effective than another? Um, I'm not sure I have uh, specific examples. I, I do feel like it's probably easier to implement a solution that we have into something that's already being developed. Um, you know, unless it's kind of like a, a complete package like the EasyVI was where this was a uh, a better developed, like ready to go kind of kind of technology, um, like you said, and and we've talked about some of these things are a lot smaller. They can might be a component of something that to be added on to added on. But I, I don't have any specific ex examples of that. But I I I tend to believe that it's probably uh, more likely to be implemented into some, into a solution that's already being worked. Yeah. And what does your day to day look like working with the community? Like, what kind of companies have you talked to? What kind of individuals? I'm sure there's a lot of excitement and enthusiasm around it, but what does that engagement look like for you? Yeah, good question. So, um, you know, I've been in this position just over a year, and it has been different trying, you know, trying to get out and um, get out of the NASA bubble and and spread the word about things. It's not something new that NASA has been doing, but uh, kind of getting more into these ecosystems of startups and entrepreneurs, getting involved with um, with organizations across Florida mainly, but also mm -hmm. across the country. And so it is exciting. You know, we were, we were at space day down in Fort Lauderdale and that's where we made a lot of night, a lot of great new connections there. And just, um, it's really, it's really cool to see what other people are working on, honestly, because uh, we do cool stuff here, but we, we do get kind of drowned in our own stuff. So it's, um, it's great to get outside and also understand how our, our technologies may be used by other people and see them get excited about it. That is actually one of the, I think the more fun things about the space ecosystem is that it is becoming more and more broad by the day. So while, you know, us in the, in the traditional space industry, we very much work in these silos. I, it's the excitement and ingenuity and creativity of this next wave that I think is really driving, driving where we're going forward. Um, just based on your assessment and what you've seen, what gets you the most excited about the future of space? So this can be from a groundswell of new capabilities that you've seen or things that you know are coming down the pike from NASA, but what what energizes you? Yeah, I mean, that that's a, that, there's a lot there, but I do think um, being more exposed, like, you know, to organizations like yours and um, to people working on like the next stage of space stuff, right? And so, 
we went from, you know, when I, when I started working here, we were still launching shuttle. And so it was very um, kind of routine. And then, and then there was this vision for commercial space that seemed so out there, you know, at the time when it came out and, and now, and now we're here. And so it's really, really great to see what people's solutions are or um, what do we need for that? Right. What do we, what do we need to get there? And what are, what are people envisioning um, that like arena to be in the next, you know, however many years? Yeah, I think that's really energized the community, especially with the um, successful demonstration of art of Artemis, the, right. the launch. Um, you're realizing more and more that the opportunities in low Earth orbit, whether it's a lunar outpost or at the commercial space stations or even existing on the ISS now, are going to be somewhat near in our in our lifespan. Right? Um, we're no longer talking about 50 year out programs. It's within five, 10 years, and so I think that the creative process of how to utilize the conditions of space and what technologies are necessary to expand space are really on the forefront of people's minds and they can approach it from a more practical business place as opposed to just like right. oh we're going to mars we're gonna you know drill <laughs> on asteroids which will happen at some point but that's yeah. like the things of science fiction novels right and that's and that's where we see a lot of the stuff right is you see a lot of these movies and then and now and now we're like you know you watch it and you're like well maybe maybe that could happen yeah <laughs> Yeah. You know, potatoes on Mars might not be that far off. So <laughs> that is that is true. I think that going back to your piece about the plant growth, that is one of these areas that um, is going to be really critical because once we technologically prove the possibility of going back to the moon and having these outposts, which, you know, Artemis wants to do, it's the sustainment of life, both from a living aspect, nutrient aspect, mental health aspect, activity, all of it. Um, the, the next wave, I think, is going to be really, really fascinating because it's going to encompass just so much more than we think of, of the current space industry. Yeah. And, I, you know, in some ways, I feel like we have so long to go, but, you know, time flies. So we'll see. But, you know, we're just trying to trying to figure out the, the best ways to get there most efficiently. Where's the water? What can we do? Yeah. You know, uh, we, we got to be able to live if, if we're up there. So, um, you know, NASA's working on a lot, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, like I said, like trying to find find where the water is. So um, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how far that goes and how quickly it gets there. Does each so you mentioned that each NASA facility has their own tech transfer program, um, and obviously each NASA center focuses on something slightly different. Um, is the technology on the website then siloed based on what's available at Kennedy versus what's available, or is it more just topical that they that entrepreneurs or companies can start there and then go down? Yeah, both. So you can, if you go to the website, you'll see um, you'll see the list of the areas, but you can also search by center. So if you were if you know something came from Kennedy or you're you're just interested in technologies that came out of JSC or whatever center you're looking at, you can filter the website by center or by area. So if you want to just look at you know, materials and coatings, you can go just go look at materials and coatings that might that that'll bring up everything across the agency. So the the tech transfer program works as an agency program and we right. all we all pretty much function similarly across um, the agency. So an entrepreneur or a company doesn't necessarily have to be like if they want a license from Kennedy, they don't have to be in Florida. Oh no, no, no. It's uh yeah, so it's a it's the same license um, process for the for the agency. Okay, it'll, and just, what it'll just be directed to the center that that kind of owns that technology. And do you work with international partners, or if there's a like a foreign company that wants to license? I know there's 
certain restrictions about um, how uh, foreign companies can do business with NASA, but is it just open to U.S. citizens or is it more global? It's more strictly to to the United States, but there, there may be some international, but I admit I don't I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I know there's parameters in terms of a company needing to be, you know, 51 percent U.S. owned or or something right. of that nature. Um, we do have some some foreign viewers. So I just wanted to. Yeah. And there and, and there have been technology. I mean, I know that there's technologies that have been used, um, mm-hmm. you know, once they've been licensed and uh, maybe there are sales across borders, but um, whether that's licensed outside of the country, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, What have we touched upon that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that gets known? That's a good question. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would just really encourage people to check out what's out there, um, learn more about the spinoffs and and, uh, how things have kind of been, you know, implemented into our daily lives that have come from NASA. And, um, you know, if you have any questions on it, we are, that's what we're here for. You can find our information on our websites um, on technology.nasa.gov. You should be able to, to get to the different centers and, and the contacts on there. And, you know, if, if you're interested in something, um, you know, in, in going and reading about it, you can look up the NASA patents. Also, if you're, if you want to get more uh, deeply into that information, that, that's publicly available also. That's great. You know, I, I appreciate you coming on because NASA is such a fascinating agency because I, I would almost say that they're probably one of the top five most recognizable brands in the world. Everybody, everybody knows the NASA logo. Or I think you guys call it the yeah. meatball. That's what it's called. Yeah. Um, but it can be such an intimidating agency to individuals because of its stature and history and, and posturing. Um, but knowing that this exists as an opportunity to be able to engage with NASA, take a piece of NASA history and legacy and um, and make it their own, I think is a really um, illuminating point for a lot of people that never even considered that was an option. Yeah. And we're I mean, we're really trying to get out there as much as we can um, yeah. to break that because it's we realize that, that that may be like kind of a invisible barrier there. But, you know, we're, we're trying to get out even at locally, just seeing who's out there looking for business opportunities putting our, you know, information and brochures out there, talking to people wherever we can, um, even local libraries and things. So uh, it's it's not it's not hard to break through. You just got to got to find us. And we're, we're small. So within asset tech transfer, but we're we're trying to trying to be more well known, be, being connected through organizations like yours. Yeah, no, you're doing a good job. I mean, definitely being out in the community and um, it carries weight when NASA shows up to an event. So thank you for coming to, <laughs> to yeah. say, but also I know for the participants, they were really excited to have your presence and, and understand, you know, the possibilities. And, um, I think it's also a great point too, because it offers a, it's not just inspirational, but it's aspirational because for a lot of young folks that might not have a business yet, but want to be entrepreneurs, um, they can start thinking about this now and monitor where space is going and then know that there are entities they can leverage that's already demystified, you know, built the basic science so it's no longer hypothetical and then take it and run with it for their own, their own business. Yeah, no, no kidding. And like in that, we were trying to, uh, we're also getting into universities. So um, it, through your searches on our, our site, you might come across something called Technology Transfer University. And so that's a program uh, that we, one run with universities across the country and professors professors will kind of infuse NASA technologies into projects. Oh, that's really cool. And so students can build business cases off of different NASA technologies 
and whether they want to, you know, keep going with that after they graduate and actually form a business around that idea. That's that's kind of the idea of that. You know, yeah. we hope more and more of those people, um, the students do that. They take the ideas, develop a plan and a product. And it's really it's really great to see it. We were recently up at uh, Embry-Riddle in Florida and uh, got to see a whole showcase of of space technology applications for different uses. And so it's not just businesses and um, startups, but it's, you know, it can be within student community communities too. They form teams, they come up with an idea, they put a whole thing together. It's, it's as if they are creating this business. And we have seen a lot of success out of that too, um, with students who do want to move forward with it. So it's, it's a great starting point. And I think a really good introduction to NASA for them and it kind of definitely yeah. barrier. Yeah, well, and and to that point, it makes it a lot more practical because because right. you know you're not work you're not working with something where you know that technologically isn't possible. It's been proven. Now you just right. need to figure out what to use, how to use it, and how to utilize it for other use cases. Yeah, yep. that's really fun. Well, I appreciate you coming on today. Um, yes, I think it's a it's um, a lot of really good information, and like I said. Um, people are always thinking about how to better integrate into the space industry and with NASA in particular. And so we really appreciate your your time and attention and also sharing the website where they can go and find out more information. Yeah, anytime. I hope, I hope we can we can do more. Oh, we will. This is just the yeah. beginning. Yeah, because we'll be back in Florida, um, as I mentioned to you, starting the actual cohorts um, in Broward right. County at the end of this month. So we're going to involve you and your team and get you out there to meet the entrepreneurs. Great, great. I look forward to it. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, and for our viewers, thank you so much for... Um, listening and participating today. And please stay tuned for future Vector Conversations. Have a great day. Thank you.